Uh, I appreciate giving, being given the opportunity to bring the message this morning. Um, the fact that Pastor Jimmy and Nancy aren't here today and the reasons that they're not here very much go in line with, with what I want to speak to us about. It's that laying down of our lives for one another um, is where we're ultimately going to end up. Today's message was titled, The Greatest Story. To illustrate where I wanted to go, I want to tell you this story. It was one of the worst blizzards in the history of, of Wales in the UK. And uh, a mother was stuck struggling in this snowstorm and ended up being disoriented and confused and lost her way. And the only hope that she had for her baby to survive was she took off her clothing, wrapped her child in it, and then shielded her child with her body. They found this mother dead from exposure, um, and the child survived. That child was David Lloyd George, who ended up becoming the Prime Minister of the UK. Now that is an excellent example of someone giving their life for someone they love. I think most of us grasp that. But as we think about that, that's very lacking in really describing what Christ has done for us. There's, I'll give you this example. I would give my life, or I would like to think I would, where I presented with a situation where a mother with her children were faced with uh, some sort of criminal activity. I think I would step in and take that bullet for someone that I don't even know. I think most men would say, faced with that situation, they would. That's, in a way, easier to say we would do that than to say, I'm going to wake up every morning and lay down my will and serve someone else. I might die for you, but will I live for you? So Christ, Jesus who died, more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and doing what? Interceding for us. When I think about sacrifice and laying down one's life, I can't help but think about my wife and the example that she leads in that. How every day she wakes up, lays down her will, puts her desires aside to pour into the lives of my children and myself and others. I think one of the most dramatic examples I've seen was as my grandmother began to age and her health began to uh, fail, her mind began to fade as well as so often happens, and we ended up having to put her into a, a memory care unit. My uncle would visit her every day. Now, this was the prime of his life. He was newly retired, well-to-do, could have gone and decided to do whatever he want, wanted. But he would go visit his mother, my grandmother, every day, whether she recognized him or not. Times he was rubbing lotion between her toes. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a feet guy. But he would just, he took that amount of time and laid his life down every day. I think that's more indicative of what we see Christ having done for us. Christ not only died for our sin, but he lives now at the right hand of God, interceding for us. 
our perception of God's love for us is often based on how we have received imperfect love. I'll say that again. Our perception of God's love for us is often based on how we have received imperfect love. I'll give you this example. You know, suppose we have a spouse or a parent or someone has hurt us. Like maybe it's bad. Maybe it was to a level of abuse. Maybe we held unrealistic expectations of others that have failed us or we pursued someone who didn't love us back. We can somehow get this perception of God as sitting on His throne waiting for us to get our act together and then He'll love us. I can say, sure, I know God loves me, but He doesn't really delight in me. It was kind of like my dad. My dad loved me, but he didn't always want me around. Or maybe we say, I know my mom loved me. She sacrificed so much for me, but it just seemed like I was kind of always in her way. God doesn't love you like that promise you, God doesn't love you like that. He just loves. In fact, Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrated His own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He's not sitting in heaven saying, man, if you just get it together, then I'll love you. No, I'm just loving you. So I just wanted to help us start to get a view of how much God loves us. And to do that, I just wanted to frame this book as the greatest story ever told. In fact, it was written by the lover in the story himself. It's a story so grand it's taken 6,000 years to come to fruition. The books in this story come from authors of over 40 different authors, over a thousand years to compile the books in this story. All to tell one story of a king who is pursuing his bride. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Do you really see that God loves you that way? Do you really understand it? Those of you that are married... Rewind to that day. To the joy that both the bride and the groom had on that day. That's how God sees you. We start in Genesis where everything was perfected. We see that God created all of creation and put mankind over it. He provided for man. Gave him everything he would ever want, need, or desire. And, and God joined him. In that, in perfect relationship, how He intended us. God loved man so much, He even put some parameters in place to, to guide him and keep him living in that freedom. You know, the don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thing. We know how that ended, hopefully. You've heard the story. Adam and Eve ate from that tree, and God turned His back on them, right? And kicked them out and said, you're not good enough for me. No. What do we see? Very next thing. And I'm telling you this to illustrate God's character so that you know how much He loves us. 
Adam and Eve ate from that apple, ate that tree, whether it was an apple or not, we don't know. But ate from that tree. And the next thing we see is God came to the garden calling for Adam and Eve. And we read that they hid in their shame. Adam and Eve, in their own shame, jumped in the bushes because they were naked and hid from God. God's character was still to pursue. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even in the garden, God pursued the relationship. Now, after the fall, God imposed consequences, but He still provided. We see Him having the first sacrifice and making clothing for them out of animal skins, out of His love for them. He still provided for them. This was not God turning His back on mankind. This was God instituting His rescue plan. None of this caught him by surprise. We see God's for us, love for us in the way he provided for us and protected us through the flood. Yes, he caused the flood, but again, that was him instituting his rescue plan and providing for us because of his love for us through that. Then we see God's covenant with Abraham and in establishing his people, a people set apart, and if we realize it was never really about what the Israelites did to earn God's favor, it was much more so what God did in spite of them. We see this as a love story and how God guided His people. As we follow the Israelites into Egypt, we then come to the story of Joseph and how God provided for His people during that famine through Joseph, a life of, of, of terrible consequences, but someone who remained faithful in how God provided for His people out of His love to protect them. And we also see a beautiful illustration in the story of Joseph when he gets to redeem his family to himself of how God wants to redeem us. It was nothing about... I mean, Joseph's family didn't even know who he was, but Joseph orchestrated these events to bring his family to him so that he could redeem them to himself. Like many of us didn't even know who God was in any real form, but God orchestrated events to pull us and redeem us to himself. Of course, we know eventually the, the Hebrew people became too powerful. Pharaoh wanted to keep them down, and, and they became enslaved in Egypt. And then we get to the story of Exodus. And we see God showing His love for His people through, through the whole process there. We see the wrath of God, so to speak, through the plagues. And, and we see Him leading His people out of Egypt in the Red Sea, through the Red Sea. And God's providing for His people through the deliverance of them. We see God establishing His people in the wilderness, leading them with pillars of cloud by day and pillars of fire at night and manna from heaven, giving them everything they needed guidance, food, whatever. At one point we even see water from a rock in that scenario. Remember, this was God working His rescue plan daily. Daily involved in all the details for over 4,000 years from Adam to Jesus just to redeem you to Himself. Then, in spite of their refusal to enter into God's provision in the promised land, Again, there were consequences. They were back in the desert, and they spent 40 years there. But in spite of that, we see God providing for them in that time. Eventually, we see Joseph, I mean Joshua leading them into 
the promised land. God was at work in His rescue plan for His bride all this time before Israel was even a nation, and that's just the first four books of the Bible. We then see God establishing the kingdom of Israel through the judges, and finally we get to David, and what a story of God's faithfulness there in providing for someone. Then we see years of God continually reaching out to His bride as they constantly betray Him and cheat on Him with other gods in their selfish pursuits. But through all of it, that's that cycle of apostasy. Israel turning away and then turning back, and there's like, I don't know, 45 kings or something in that period. Some were good, some were bad. But we see God remaining faithful in that time. See, God made a covenant, not a contract. A contract, if you break it, I'm free of my end. A covenant, you can break it all you want to. I'm still bound. And that's what God's done. God made a covenant knowing that one side would be broken. He said, that's okay. I'm God. I'll stay true to mine. And he's began to orchestrate all these details for over 6,000 years up to us today. And through all of that, like the prophet Hosea, who married Gomer, a wonderful name there, she must have been a jewel, huh? Who would leave him and cheat on him. If you don't know this story, it's beautiful. At one point, um, Gomer not only cheated on him, but God told Hosea to go and buy her back from the whorehouse. This was a prophet in the time, and he had to go back and buy her back from the whorehouse. And that was a picture that God gives us of how much He loves us. We don't like to think of ourselves as a Gomer. But let's read in Hosea what uh, the prophet Hosea had to say about God's love. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the balls and burning offerings to idols. But it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by the arms they didn't know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and because, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them, and I fed them. They will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria will be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword will rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, He shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma and treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Now, Admah and Zeboiim were cities on the same plane as Sodom and Gomorrah, and we know how that ended. That's what he's referring to there. God says, this was my child. Took him up by the arms. I taught him to walk. 
I spoon-fed them as they needed it. And they just keep turning away from me. The more I pursue them, the more they turn away from me. I'm not blessed with teenagers yet. But I imagine this was Israel's, Israel's teenage years. How often have we left our love? How often have we chosen our wills over His? How often have we pursued the false promises of self-fulfillment, self-improvement, and the American dream? If you work hard enough, you can achieve anything. We tolerate preachers peddling this false gospel of live your best life and name it and claim it Christianity. Nothing more than a watered-down, powerless Christ that seeks only to help you get your finances in order and be a better parent today. Now, all of those things can be benefits of living right and following Christ and living in this community He calls us to. But if we're not careful, we can take the good and make it our God. And when we do this, we take Christ off the throne and we make the creation instead of the Creator, our God. And then we're no different than Israel in the days of Hosea when we do that. We just cover it up. We make it sound prettier. And... But don't fear when we inevitably do this, and we will do this, God reminds us in Isaiah 54.10, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. In God's ultimate revelation of Himself to us, we see the fulfillment in, of His promise of a rescue plan to redeem His bride to Himself in Jesus Christ. He lowered Himself to be a baby. He left heaven, the Creator who was in perfect unity with God, and the Holy Spirit left His heaven and humbled Himself to be a baby, needing all the care that a baby needs. He lived a sinless life. He faced hunger, thirst, was tempted in ways that we can't even imagine. I don't know about you, but I've never had Satan offer me the entire world if I would just take a knee. So it's not like this was an easy temptation. And he died laying down his life so that we may live and then taking it up again to share with us his victory over sin and the consequences of it being death. In Romans 8, 31, 39, I want you to listen to this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what, what do I do? What do we do with this love story? How do we respond to a love like this? For the believer in Christ, for the Christ follower, there is only one proper response. And we read that in John 15. 9 through 17. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commandments and I abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. We respond to his love by abiding in his love. How? By keeping his commands. His command is what? That you love one another as I have loved you. And how has He loved you? By laying down His life. He tells us, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Now that's a great love. To lay down your life daily. So I want us to let His love for us be our motivation. We need to know that God has pursued us, His bride, over thousands of years, that He's actively been chasing you. He wants to spend time with you. And the way we do this is to love Him by loving others and joining Him in His favorite activity, which is redeeming the world to Himself. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we so ought to love one another. Seek to be loved by God and to love others this week and in weeks to come. It's the absolute best response that we can have when we begin to understand how much God loves us. 
if you've never accepted that totally free gift of His love shown to us through the Gospels, you have that opportunity today. If you feel God pulling to call you into this local of body believers here at Grace Fellowship, it's a place where you can love one another as He has loved us. We'd love to give you that opportunity. If the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart and you just want to make a decision to publicly commit to the kind of love that God has shown you, you'll have an opportunity to do that as well. We have people here that would love to pray for you and encourage you along that journey. Um, we'll have the, the number up on the screen that 706-703-4477. Text Jesus to that if you'd like for somebody to reach out to you. Or, or here after we close, if you just want to keep your seat, myself or an elder will be glad to, to come speak to you. Or if you're more of an email person rather than a text, you can reach out to us at mynextsteps at gracefellowship.ws. If you would pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for the written story that you've given us of how you have pursued us from the beginning of time. How everything you've done is for us to communicate your love to us. Help us to see with new eyes and, and a fresh perspective how much you care deeply for us and have provided for us and help us to, in return, show that to the world around us in our daily lives. Amen. Now we have a Scripture of the Month. Is that on the screen? If you would, read that with me. It's going to be um, Psalms 19.14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19.14. Thank you for joining us today. Have a wonderful and blessed day.